Hello, and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm Emma Cantor, Associate Children's Book Editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with author illustrator Jason Tharp about his new picture book, It's Okay to Be a Unicorn, due out on February 4 from Macmillan Imprint, which is sponsoring this podcast. Jason Tharp's work includes the Peachy and Keen and Super Monster Friends series for Scholastic, National Geographic Kids Funny Fill-Ins, and The Hog Mollies for the nonprofit Second and Seven Foundation. He has created a number of licensed properties and books, designed clothing, and has also traveled the country talking to kids and adults about embracing their weirdness. In It's Okay to Be a Unicorn, Cornelius J. Sparklesteed is known among all the other horses in Huffington for his beautiful handmade hats. But Cornelius is hiding a secret under his own hat. He's really a unicorn. When Cornelius is chosen to perform at this year's Hoofapalooza, he must find the courage to show everyone his true self. Thank you for joining me, Jason. Thanks for having me. Where did you find the inspiration for your new book? Well, you know, I think a lot of it came out of uh, myself as a kid. I think there's a lot of me in Cornelius and a lot of what I've seen from just going around the country and talking to, to kids, you know, and it's just this idea of sometimes it feels weird when you step into who you really are and it could be really unnerving to kind of, you know, take that chance on yourself and uh, Cornelius kind of represents that perfect character to kind of, you know, be able to come out and say, this is who I really am. I really hope you like the real me. Unicorns seem to be having a moment in pop culture. There was even that limited edition unicorn frappuccino a couple of years back. Were you seizing on that unicorn fever at all when you came up with the concept? Actually, no. Um, I've been for a really long time talking to people about, you know, I always use this hashtag, be the unicorn, um, or I say something like, be the weird you want to see in the world. And, you know, for me, I, I just always kind of like capitalized on this idea for myself that, you know, I wanted to value something I wanted to see that I didn't think would exist in me. So I kind of like just embraced this idea of, of being a unicorn um, and kind of created this like kind of quasi alter ego in myself that just kind of gave me a measuring stick to kind of say, here's where I want to go. I got to believe in myself to do it. And I just really have kind of used the unicorn as that. And then things just kind of oddly lined up in the world. And, you know, you can get unicorn everything now. Um, it's a lot easier to find unicorn stuff now. <laughs> Yes, there's still a consumer market for Lisa Frank. Yeah, yeah. I do remember back when I was a kid, the Trapper Keeper has been covered all with the, uh, the bright colors and stuff, yeah. In the book, you play with the idea of unicorns as emblems of uniqueness, with Cornelius encouraging everyone to embrace their unicorniness. Why is that message particularly important to you? Well, I think, you know, it's important because a lot of times what we do in our lives is we kind of put these masks on that we really want to achieve something. We really want to chase a dream or we really want to just explain to somebody, this is really who I am or really what I want to do. And what we do is we put, you know, in the book, Cornelius puts a hat over his horn to hide that. And I think that people in general, we 
tend to hide those things because we're afraid of what somebody's going to think of us, or there may be a rule that says you can't be that, or you're afraid that you're going to change your group of friends or, or whatever it is that makes you not want to step into that thing. And for the idea of like Cornelius being able to tell everybody like, this is who I am. It's this brave moment of stepping out of, you know, um, and it's really scary. And especially for kids, it's really scary to kind of say like, you know, I, I don't like that over here. I like this over here because I think with social media and all these things that uh, kids are getting hit with nowadays, they don't really uh, have a, a to, to stand up to that and say, no, this is what I like. It's really, really scary. Um, and, you know, Cornelius just, just gives that ability to add a little bit of levity to a, to a very serious conversation. Rainbows also appear throughout the illustrations. Beyond adding color, I wondered, is there an element of LGBTQ pride to the story? Yeah, I think so. Like a little bit. I mean, it, it's funny. It wasn't 100% intentional, but I, I think subconsciously it was always there. Um, my oldest son, um, you know, came out to me when he was 14. And I just remember like at that moment, just how that impacted me and for him to have like that bravery to, to, to say, this is who I am. So I definitely think that there was parts of it that it wasn't intentional. It didn't set out to do that, but I 100% can see when somebody reads this book that that could be a possibility. I mean, it definitely, I, I can only imagine, you know, having experienced it being a parent, what it would have to be like to be the individual and to be able to like give a story that says like the world is saying you can't be a unicorn, but he is the whole time. I can only imagine what that feels like in their shoes. So I try to, you know, use the tools of this, of this to do this. And I definitely see that the rainbow as of course I know what it represents, but yeah, I, I can see a parallel there for sure. Can you talk a bit more about your mission as an inspirational speaker and how it may dovetail with your writing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I spend a lot of time talking to kids and adults about embracing who they are through their self-worth, right? The idea that we spend so much time saying horrible things to ourselves, but we'll also at the same time do everything we can for other people to make sure that everybody else is happy. And kind of at the end of the day, what we end up doing is if we're lucky enough, we put enough fuel in the tank to get us through the day. Then at the end of the day, we kind of beat ourselves up or shame ourselves for not getting something done or not doing that thing that you really wanted to do. And it goes hand in hand with kids. It, I, I, the same thing I experience when I speak to a group of adults, I experience what I speak to a group of kids is this idea that the scariness that's involved in sitting down with somebody and saying like, this is really what I want to do or really who I am, um, is just a very, uh, you know, a, a, a thing that just makes your vulnerability just like your vulnerability meter just go off the charts because the, the hard part about joy, right. When you actually step into what you want to do, with joy also comes a ton of shame as well, because then you start, because we're so used to doing so many things for other people, then we start thinking that like, well, if I experience joy, am I being too selfish? And we immediately go there. So it really, for what I, my mission I feel is through kind of the story of the things I've been through in my life. I want to help people understand that the value that they leave on the table at the end of the day for their self-worth and if they can really value themselves for what they truly are worth, that you can like change the world. And with kids, I just want them to understand that it's okay 
to be different than everybody else. Like if you don't have to be the same as everybody else, but you know, try your best. And I also like to include with them the message of like kindness. And, you know, I think a lot of misconceptions with the way kindness is perceived with kids is the message is always like, be nice to everybody else. But really what I think is missing is this idea of being kind to yourself, because how do you even begin to be kind with everybody else if inside you're really struggling and, it, and we need to recognize that. And how do we teach them that in those days it stinks, we can really bounce back from it or we can learn from it or we can realize that we've been through stuff before so they can learn how to self-manage, you know, the hard days um, because they're going to happen. You know, when we're adult, we, we end up growing up <laughs> with the same issues if we don't address them young. Um, so that's the kind of books I like to write are books that are going to address those for kids in a way that it's not so on their nose. Like I don't, I tend to write books where the characters aren't people, um, where it could be where they can separate and they can see themselves in the character and it's different. And, you know, I like to always say that I write books for weird kids because I was that weird kid that felt different. And, um, but at the same time, everybody's weird. Oh, absolutely. When developing a book, how do you weave together the story and that kind of inspirational message you were talking about does one usually occur to you first yeah i i, I tend to like really have a, a message right like i would like i really like this book to be about x you know um with cornelius it was just like i really want this book to be about being okay in your own skin kind of thing that was kind of like this idea um and then you know my editor mcmillan john is just the best and we sat down and we just went through the whole process of like this is the story and, and we picked and pulled and really you know created a, a, a solid message that you know because it's also important right to have funny in it that's the other part that I really wanted to do is make sure that there was funny involved in it you know as many horse puns and all that good stuff that you could um, you know sticking with like the funny jokes that like the kids would get a kick out of like you know there's a section there where one of the thoughts that Cornelius has that, that people say bad or the other horses say bad things about unicorns, like they fart rainbows. You know, I could just like imagine like a little kid reading that and giggling. Um, you know, so it, that's, it usually starts with the, the message and then usually it goes to character and I do a character design. My initial background was in illustration. I've always wanted to be a storyteller since I was like six years old, but I really start first with visual. And then um, once I get the character, and and this is where the weirdness of me kicks in, is when it starts talking in my head to me, and I can like have a conversation with this character, I feel like that's when I can kind of bring it to life and start kind of bringing the story around around it. And then it's just a matter of like, how can we make sure that this seems relatable to a kid? And how can we make sure that there's an emotional layer involved in it? So the child reading it understands that, you know, I'm talking to them. Like, it's really, this is a story about a unicorn, but it's really a story to you. Um, and yeah, it's, that's kind of how it works. You mentioned your work as a designer. What first brought you to the world of children's books? Oh boy, uh, that's a long story, um, but I'll try to condense it as much as possible. So when I was about six is when, you know, we got our first VCR. And I loved like Saturday morning cartoons and my favorite ones were like the Flintstones and 
the old, old ones, but those were always on like super early in the morning. And I would record the cartoons and then I'd pause the TV and I would trace, I'd put paper up over the TV screen and I would trace off the characters. And I just became obsessed with that. And my dad around that time told me that, you know, that people got paid to make cartoons. And I thought that was like the coolest job ever. And so what I did from that point forward, I knew there was two things I was going to do when I grew up. I was going to make cartoons or I was going to play professional baseball. And there wasn't like anything anybody was going to say that would make it different. So I spent my whole schooling, I was, I was so focused on making stories and characters to the point where I had, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I was undiagnosed with something as a kid where like I would get put in the hallway all the time for talking too much or I would create characters and I'd have to tell the story right now. Um, and I was just constantly drawing on things. You know, middle school, it's, you know, my, my eighth grade guidance counselor told me that uh, I wasn't gonna mount to anything because all I did was draw all over my stuff. Um, you know, and all of these things kind of just occurred. And then when I went into uh, art school, um, after art school, I got a job in corporate America as a, as a package designer. And I just had this, stories still in my head and I really wanted to start illustrating and I started working I'd work from 8 30 to 5 30 every day and then I would go home and at this time I had uh, my first kid and I would work he would go to bed at nine I'd work till three in the morning and then I would do that over I did that over a course of a year to be able to get out on my own and then I started in licensing and creating a bunch of brands and doing all kinds of really cool stuff and then Around like, you know, 40, when you, I started questioning a lot of stuff and really what I wanted to do and I started getting unhappy and, and I stopped paying attention to things where, you know, December, like, and it was around November of 2017, I got a call from uh, Chase Bank that they were going to foreclose on our house. And I looked at my bank account and I was so focused on trying to figure things out that I didn't pay attention to stuff. And I had like $130 to my name. Um, there's a lot of business failures in between those that they don't really matter at this point. But like, basically I just, I made bad choices for myself. I didn't value myself and I didn't think that my story was worth telling. And then that was when, um, I rolled the dice. I had $400 room on a credit card. I rolled the dice and I came to New York and I started telling Macmillan, uh, and John and Aaron what I really wanted to write the stories I really wanted to tell. And they listened and um, it was amazing. So, you know, prior to that, I had had books out with Scholastic, the Peachy and Keen, the Super Monster Friends that you're talking about. But, you know, those, what people, like I think a lot of times people in publishing understand, but the outside world doesn't is that, you know, a book doesn't just, you just don't make the book and then it's out six months later, right? Sometimes it takes a little longer. So that money had been long gone. So you're, from an outsider looking, it looked like you kind of had everything that you had ever wanted as a storyteller. And then, you know, when I originally started with Macmillan, uh, it was just like, here's this idea. We want, I really want to talk to kids about all the stuff that I struggled with as an adult that I wish that somebody would have told me. And how I got there was that, you know, I really literally sat down with myself two years ago. I was 41, 42 at that time. And sitting down with myself and saying, okay, for the last, you know, 40 some years, I've done everything that I was supposed to do and what everybody kind of said, how you fit in the box. And it didn't get me where I wanted, 
But what would happen if all of a sudden I said no to everything that an adult would say yes to? And I started saying yes to everything that six-year-old in me wants to say yes to. And I said, okay, let's do it. And I started just writing. And I started just doing all this stuff and telling everybody this is what I want to do. And then to not make it sound all down, I did come back and I, I told my wife, I think we're going to be out of debt by this next year. And we're going to fix this thing. We're going to flip it. And um, I just put full-fledged effort into it. And you know, fast forward, like we're debt-free. Everything's taken care of. So there is a happy ending to all of it. But the big mission was I wanted to start talking to kids. And I wanted to be able to start getting in front of kids and talking to them about this, all this stuff about, you know, how do you dream big? How, what, why do your words matter? Being kind to everybody else. What's it mean to understand that you are really unique? You know, all this stuff. And I started packaging it together. And schools just started calling. And, you know, last year I spoke to a little over 22,000 kids. When I talked to schools, what I, what at first, what was unusual about it, you know, coming from a background of, of not, you know, being a parent, but not kind of doing a lot of the, the school visits was just the amount of connection that you have with the kid. When I realized the more I got down to on their level, so to speak, where, you know, I'm walking back and forth and I'm crouching down and I'm getting them to laugh and I'm telling them empowering things and we're getting them to, uh, you know, yell out. Like I get, you know, I have this one experience I do with them where I, I tell them I'm trying to get them present, but reality, what I'm trying to do is just get their energy level up as I have them, you know, yell out that they're super fantastic. And I, you know, I think that there's a lot of times where kids, they just don't, from my experience, they aren't really allowed to let that shine a little bit. Um, and so what is really amazing is the amount of connections that I've had with kids where, you know, I'm signing a, a book for them or, you know, or they come ap up afterwards and I get mobbed by these kids that just, they want to hug me or they want to high five me or they want to just like, you know, uh, talk to me and, and, or I've had the same ones where parents and te or teachers have pulled me aside and asked me to talk to this other child, right? And a lot of times what it is, is it's the kids that, you know, I think that people kind of write them off or they think that there's something different about them or there's something weird about them. And the kids just struggling and trying to figure out who they are. And all I do is sit down with them and I have a conversation. I'll draw a picture for them. I'll talk to them about stuff about like what I struggled with as a kid, you know, um, how I deal with it now, like, you know, how do you escape it and all those things like this. Um, I did one school uh, where I had this conversation with this little girl and um, it turns out like her mom just left, like just one day just left. And she was really struggling, but she really wanted to write stories. And so we talked about like, how do you come up with a story that could tell this story for you? And I talked to her about, how I've struggled before with trying to figure out who I was and how I felt alone sometimes. And, you know, at the end of it, like, you know, she gives me this huge hug and the teacher's like back in the back of the class, like crying. And she comes up to me afterwards. She's like, you know, she hasn't talked to anybody for like six months. And, you know, it's just like it, what I experienced in talking to kids, it's the same reason why I write these books. It's that you want 
to show them that they're magical, that they're unique, that they're special. It's not a pump up their ego thing and try to get them to realize that the world doesn't stink because they're going to find out their own. It does. It's hard. I, you know, I talk to kids about the fact that like chasing a dream is not easy. Like, you know, somebody, anybody that tells you it is, is wrong. You know, growing up and trying to figure out who you are is not easy, but you're completely normal having that struggle. And I think that's a lot of times what gets overlooked. And, you know, in visiting, writing the books and the stories that, that we're working on, I, I just want it, kids to understand that the value in not getting stuck thinking there's something wrong with you, that because you're having a bad day, that you're a bad person or that because you're not perfect, that you are going to live a life that you want. And to really explain to them, you know, I tell them straight up, I'm like, when I stand in front of a bunch of kids, I'm like, hey, I'm going to let you in on a grown-up secret that we're all afraid to tell you. We don't know what we're doing either. And, you know, and I think just acknowledging that with kids, it just it's, it's like this magic moment. I call it the unicorn effect <laughs> where you're sprinkling magic on somebody's day just by seeing them. I mean, you, you know this, Emma, when you've had a bad day <laughs> and you get to work, there's that one person that always seems to be having a good day. And whenever you see them, as much as you don't want to like acknowledge, they come by and they say something or they do something, or maybe there's a person that you pass on the subway or on the way to work or whatever that says something to you and they just see you, like they just see you instead of their heads down and buried in a phone or whatever, they make eye contact with you and they can see who you are, how much that effect has on you. And so when I talk to kids, I talk to them about like, you know what, you have the ability to be the unicorn every day because you can sprinkle your magic on somebody's day just by seeing them. You know, you don't have to do anything special. It's just saying hi. It's spreading your magic. And then when you need some and you're having a bad day, not being afraid to take some magic from somebody else. You know, look for the yaysayers, the people in your life that are always there for you no matter what. Because they're the ones that are always going to just pick you up. And avoid the naysayers because most of the time the naysayers are just looking to keep you down on their level. Or they're afraid that you're changing too much that then that's going to affect them. And that's where the fear comes into play. So it's really kind of uh, my mission is to help, um, you know, empower kids and honestly adults as well to look past all that stuff and value themselves enough to do the hard parts of life. I imagine all those moments of connection with readers you described really make it a gratifying experience. Before we wrap things up, I'd like to ask what's coming up next for you? Yeah, we're working on the, uh, another book uh, right now um, with Macmillan as well. Um, it's about a skunk, um, and his name's Panda Cat, and he's got a really funny story about just like he uh, likes some smell good stuff, and he feels really odd about that. Um, and so it's just a little bit uh, again, kind of diving into where Cornelius is a big a big story in the sense of. Um, an external battle, right, with like society kind of thing, where Panda Cat is really internal. Um, it's about understanding just like sometimes in your life, you don't have to have a whole group of people that believe in you. Like you really only need one person in your life to make you feel normal, whatever that is to begin with anyway, right? <laughs> um, and instead of like looking, to, you know, for so many other external validations, it's about how can we internally validate that all the stuff, right? That it's okay. 
Well, thank you so much for speaking with me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Once again, I've been speaking with Jason Tharp about his new picture book, It's Okay to Be a Unicorn, which is due out in February from Macmillan Imprint. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. Cast.